Welcome to the IT Smart Guy podcast, a technology podcast aimed at the modern business owner. And here's your host, Tony Edwards. Hello and welcome to episode 24 of the IT Smart Guy podcast, the tech-based podcast for the modern business owner. My name's Tony and in today's episode we're going to talk about the end of Twitter, Mr Beast's legal dispute and could Microsoft's purchase of Activision Blizzard be unblocked. We then have a great guest in the interview this time as we speak to Brian Gillette of Feel Good MSP. We're going to talk all about sales, not just from an IT support company perspective, but from business in general. And I'm super excited for you guys to hear that. He he is our first international guest. Finally, as always, we have a tip of the episode. Let's jump into the news. Let's look at what's happening in the news. He wants to transform it into a super app called X, a new kind of social media platform that aims to go beyond current conventional offerings. Now, Mr. Musk has taken personal interest in the rebrand, even changing his profile picture to the new X logo and updating his Twitter bio with X.com. Now, he expressed his intention to fit... uh, bid farewell to the Twitter brand and its bird mascot gradually, but it kind of just happened out of nowhere. Uh, And the change really is not without critics, and there is some people mourning the loss of the beloved blue bird, uh, which was called Larry, named after the basketball legend Larry Bird, and it was uh, Twitter co-founder Biz Stone that named the bird in 2011. And the logo does hold sentimental value for many users. Also, Elon Musk's fascination with the letter X isn't new. It dates back to his first business venture back in 1999, X.com, which was an online banking platform which later merged with PayPal. And it's interesting that he still owns that X.com domain name, which now redirects to a Uh, to Twitter. Musk's ambitious vision for X aligns with the success of other super apps in Asia like WeChat, which has a broad range of services and a huge user base. He wants to tap into the everything app space, hoping to revolutionise how people interact on social media and beyond. However, the rapid rebrand has also raised some security concerns. Experts warn about potential phishing attacks where cyber criminals will impersonate the new brand to trick users into sharing their login credentials unwittingly. Now, as Elon Musk leads Twitter into what is uncharted territory, there is excitement about the possibilities this X super app may offer. But there is also that apprehension about potential risk and the impact it's going to have on Twitter's loyal but ageing user base. Now, I would love to know what you think about the new branding. Do you like it? Do you hate it? Are you not fussed? Leave a comment below and let me know. Uh, I'd also like to know if you think this could be the end of Twitter. Sorry, I mean X. 
Again, let me know down below. From potential social super apps to the legal battle involving YouTuber Mr. Beast. Jimmy Donaldson, known as Mr. Beast, is the biggest YouTuber in the world with a huge, staggering 172 million subscribers. Now, in 2020, he ventured into the fast food business by launching Mr. Beast Burger. However, things have taken a sour turn. Mr. Beast is now suing Virtual Dining Concepts, which is the company behind the burger chain, claiming that they are serving or have served a subpar product that is now hurting his brand and his reputation. The lawsuit, which was filed in New York this past Monday, alleges that Virtual Dining Concepts have failed to ensure the quality of the burgers, leading to some being described as revolting and even inedible at times. Consequently, Mr. Beast Burger brand has suffered from a negative perception, which has caused and is causing material and irreparable harm to the Mr. Beast brand and his image. Donaldson is seeking the right to terminate the partnership with Virtual Dining Concepts due to the alleged damage to his brand. Notably, the legal action also reveals that he has not received any financial benefit from the partnership. Previously, on Twitter, Mr. Beast has apologised to fans who were disappointed by the food quality and expressed his inability to break the deal with the company, which is why he's going down this legal route. Mr. Beast Burger operates more than a thousand ghost kitchens worldwide. These kitchens are also known as dark kitchens or virtual restaurants. These kitchens operate out of other businesses' premises allowing for efficient food delivery services. Donaldson's fast food venture gained significant attention when in September 2022, he filled a shopping centre in the US with thousands of fans for the opening of his first brick and mortar burger restaurant in New Jersey. Fans queued for hours, eagerly awaiting a chance to not only taste the burger, but to meet the YouTube sensation. Beyond his fast food venture, Jimmy Donaldson is widely recognised for his philanthropy and extravagant videos featuring large prizes and cash giveaways. He has also launched a separate philanthropy-themed YouTube channel in 2021, which, is, um, uh, which has amassed over 10 million subscribers. Additionally, he operates a licensed charity functioning as a food bank serving communities across the United States. Now, with millions of fans and an immense online presence, Mr. Beek's legal action against the company behind his fast food chain will undoubtedly continue to draw attention in the media. Now, I don't spend hours on YouTube, but I do like watching Mr. Beast's videos. They are awesome. You know, from these videos, you can see a guy with his friends having a great time creating content that captures emotions. And he does it in such a way that you can easily imagine yourself being one of his friends, just having a chat with him down the pub. Mr. Beast, if you're ever in the UK, and you want to have a beer and a chat, let me know. Also, if you haven't listened to it already, do check out the interview he does on Joe Rogan's podcast. 
he is just such a down-to-earth guy. Have you had a Mr. Beast burger? Because they are available in the UK. What do you think? What did you think? Let me know. Finally, it looks like the ice is thawing around the Microsoft Activision Blizzard takeover. The UK's Competition and Markets Authority, the CMA, is back in the spotlight seeking additional views on Microsoft's attempted takeover of video game developer Activision Blizzard. This comes after the CMA blocked the $69 billion deal back in April. However, the situation has taken an interesting turn and the deal might now have a chance of being cleared. The CMA states that Microsoft has made significant commitments, including an agreement with its rival Sony, which have led to what they call a material change of circumstance. These commitments have raised hopes of resolving the regulatory concerns. In an unusual move, the CMA has set a deadline of the 4th of August, which is the day this podcast goes out, for public submissions on the deal. This means there is a narrow window for interested parties and the public to voice their concerns before the CMA makes a final decision before the 29th of August. Microsoft President Brad Smith had previously met with Chancellor Jeremy Hunt in June looking for solutions to overcome these regulatory obstacles. Smith criticised the CMA's initial decision, claiming it discouraged innovation and investment in the UK. The CMA had faced increasing pressure, especially after Microsoft managed to secure approval from regulators in the US and the EU. This momentum prompted the CMA to reconsider its stance and reopen talks with Microsoft. The original concern from the CMA was that Microsoft's dominant position in the cloud gaming market could lead to the exclusion of Activision's games from other platforms. However, Microsoft has since made legally binding commitments to the European Commission and they have reached a licensing deal with Sony. This deal ensures that the popular Call of Duty franchise will remain available on the PlayStation for at least the next decade. The CMA has clarified that submissions from interested parties are possible, but very rare. They assure that they will carefully evaluate Microsoft's submissions and all other responses from the public before the statutory deadline on the 29th of August. So the fate of the Microsoft Activision Blizzard deal still hangs in the balance, but there is now hope that the additional views and commitments made by Microsoft could lead to a different outcome this time round. That's it for the news. Let's get on to the interview. But first, if you watch the podcast on YouTube, I hope you have begun to see improvements in the product. This is down to me going on to friend of the show, Pete Matheson's video masterclass. In this self-paced course, Pete walks you through everything you need to know about improving your video. From the way you talk to the camera, to the gear you need, and everything else in between. Plus, he gives you personal feedback on the videos you produce. Now, you might think that this sort of learning is lonely, but by signing up, you get exclusive lifetime access to a Video Masterclass Discord channel filled with like-minded people, all of whom 
have got the same goal, to get more comfortable talking to a camera. And no, it's not just geeky IT people like me on the course. Don't get me wrong, there are a few in there, but there are people from other industries in there too. Bookkeepers and copywriters, just to name a couple. If you want to take your video to the next level, I highly recommend taking a look. Click on the link in the show notes and it will take you there. Plus, keep an eye out for a future video where I go in a bit more detail. The interview. So we now come to the interview part of the podcast. And today I'm really, really happy to bring on Mr. Brian Gillette of Feel Good MSP. He is our guest today, and he's also our first international guest. So it's awesome, super awesome that he's here. So I'll just bring him into the room now. Hey, Brian, how's it going? Hey, Tony, it's great. How are things over there? Yeah, really, really good. Thank you. What's the What's the weather like where you are today? How do I say it in the words that the rest of the world will understand? Hot. Lovely. 100 degrees Fahrenheit. So you do that math. I don't know. It's really hot. A lot nicer than it is here, then, because uh, here yep. we've got rain and grey skies everywhere. But anyway, we digress. Yep. Um, so first, let's start off at the top. Let's tell everybody who you are and what it is you do. Yeah, so my name is Brian Gillette. As you mentioned, I have a company called Feel Good MSP. I am a infrastructure, a sales infrastructure consultant, and I specialize in working with managed service providers in building their end-to-end sales process. Lovely. And this is, well, this is an IT slanted podcast. There are normal business people that do listen in. So how about you explain what an MSP is as well, just in case they haven't listened to a previous episode. Sure. An MSP, MSP stands for managed service provider. It's a blanket term that was invented in the sort of in the aughts to, that was actually originally a marketing term, but it is now, uh, it sort of represents being a proactive fixed monthly cost IT provider. Uh, who takes care of all the outsourced help desks, cybersecurity, and technology management for other businesses. Perfect. So before we dive into your journey, uh, where did your passion for sales come from? It's a really good question. Um, I think I have a couple of different answers. The the truth is I've always had it. Uh, I've always, always, always loved selling things. Um, I don't really know why I just kind of came to terms with the fact this is why I'm on the earth is to sell things to other people. But I mean, I started my first company in fifth grade when we had, we were, my teacher's name was Miss Deaton and they did this behavior management thing where they made up fake money. Did they ever do that in your school? So I, but I I know what you mean. I've, 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 uh, I've, I've had had stories that, um, sure. Or like the American office, the shrewd buck, you know, uh, so they called them Deaton dollars. And so I knew that they were going to start rolling out Deaton dollars because they had done dollars in all the other classes. And I knew that my teacher was going to do it soon. So what we did was we got my friend's mom to buy us all this candy. And I w- had kept it stocked. So the day that the Deaton dollars came in, I decided I'm going to get on top of the market here. So I got all the Deaton dollars because I, I took everybody's Deaton dollars by selling them candy. And so I... I <laughs> My friend and I monopolized the marketplace. We would pay people with Deaton dollars to like, we'd cut in line for lunch or we would whatever, you know, um, we became the like mafia lords of the fifth grade. Oh, no. So I've always loved selling stuff. And uh, 
the reason that I'm still passionate about it isn't just because, you know, I'm a revenue junkie or because I want to make money. There's a lot of ways to make money, but I think there's something really exciting about the art of inviting someone into a journey that's going to better their life that they didn't know existed, you know? Um, Hey, what if I could make your life better and it would cost you less than you would get out of it. And all we have to do is not help you navigate some of your pre-existing biases towards me and towards this product. And in the end, we will all be better for it. We will have created more value than we came in with. To me, that's just magical. Yeah, and the way you've just said it there, it's just, yeah. It's, it, you've, you've described the, you know, sales perfectly there. Um, but before you, so, you know, first business, as it was fifth grade, you were an actor for a little bit of, little bit of mm-hmm. time as well weren't you i saw i've been you know I've, I've actually done some research and you know was yeah. acting for a little while and you're an actor did the acting experience give you insights which has aided your sales career oh yeah one thousand percent um i think anybody if you look at life the right way every experience you have can equip you for the next experience you're going to have right yeah um if you're always looking for life lessons so but unequivocally acting is my secret weapon um, in in my current sales career, because when you're an actor, I've talked about this on other podcast interviews, but when you're an actor, it, you are selling, but what you're selling is yourself. And you, you don't get to hide behind the product dev team or the marketing team when people don't buy it. Like it's, it's your fault. And the thing people aren't buying is you. So they say things like, thanks for coming in, but you're really not charming enough for this role. Or we need somebody who's better looking. <laughs> I mean, it doesn't really get any more direct feedback than that, right? And so as an actor, you sort of have to develop this internal mechanism for sorting feedback where you can grow from feedback without internalizing it and sort of feeling any shame. Because if you, if you can't do that, you can't, you can't survive, right? You'll, um, you'll crumble. And that's why most actors do. So how do you figure out, okay, I'm going to grow from this experience if I can, or first I'm going to take this feedback and decide, is this something that I need to hear? Is this something that can benefit me? If it's no, then we just, we, we flush it. If it's yes, then we decide what of that is reasonable for me to internalize and what of that is not helpful for me to internalize. Now translate that over to selling a product. Like, I mean, you know, you have an IT company and it's really daunting when you've like quit your job poured your blood, sweat, and tears into trying to become the best in the industry. And then you go, hey, can I talk to you about, no, I'm okay. Thanks. Click. You've got to do something with that experience internally, right? Yeah. You've you've got to do something with it uh, on an emotional level. And, you know, I suppose the the difference is, you know, the worst somebody really can say when it's, when, when you're selling something is no, or, you know, if they're having a bit of a bad day, piss off. Right. Um, um, you know, and it's, and it's just how you deal with that rejection, I suppose. Obviously, if you get rejection after rejection after rejection, it's going to affect you mentally. But if right. I suppose if you build in those co- uh, coping mechanisms and learn from it and adapt the way you sell, those no's will eventually become yeses. That's right. Um, so feel good MSP. 
Tell me a bit more about how that program, how your program can help IT companies with their sales. For sure. Um, I'll start by saying Feel Good MSP is obviously a peculiar name. Like a lot of people think I'm an MSP. <laughs> um, but, you know, it's derived from the core product we have, which is the Feel Good Close. That's my sales method. The sales method that, I've, that took me 15 years of sales experience, plus, you know, over 10 years of being in entertainment industry, only two or three of those in, in Los Angeles. Um, the Feel Good Close is about, essentially, it's kind of a culmination of some of the things that we've already discussed. What does it look like to understand your product or services role in a potential customer's life? What is the best way to communicate it in a way that lets them know that you are there to further their story rather than to sort of capture their business? And then how do you deal with it when people cannot or will not see the value that you're trying to portray? So you can make buying from you a cathartic and feel-good experience, just like selling can become a cathartic and feel-good experience. It actually be something that I think can really better and deepen your connections with other people if you do it the right way. That's why it's called the feel-good close. So the feel-good MSP is about, let's just basically ratchet that up to 11. Let's take the sales philosophy and then let's pull these sort of underpinning truths of this philosophy that has made me sort of a bulletproof an emotionally bulletproof salesperson. And let's apply it to the organization as a whole. Let's apply it to all of the scaling principles and the technology best practices and how we manage risk for other clients and how we plan on team building. What is the future of our business? What's the exit of our business? That's the vision of it, right? Like let's make running a business as, as much of a marathon as it is. Let's make running an MSP a feel good experience because everything is synergizing with one singular vision of what we're trying to achieve. Now, that's the, that's the, the principle behind why I made feel good MSP because when I was selling man services, there was nobody that wanted to help me. Nobody who could make it easier as like a person, like there's plenty of people who wanted to sell me an agent that could do a pro provide a service. But at some point, right, it's like I've got like 450 agents, different things I, in my stack now. Like I don't need another one of those. I need somebody who is listening to me going, oh, yeah, building an IT company is super hard, but you are under, you have a fiduciary responsibility to sell this product. So, yeah, I mean, that, that's what we set out to do, um, not to be too sort of meta with it, but we have a 90-day sales accelerator that's made to come alongside an existing IT business that's already tapped on time and money and say, let's just sort of make the most strategic possible investments with your mindset, with your strategies, with your behaviors and techniques so that we can get you a net new MRR customer every month within 90 days. Awesome. Um, it's, you know, it's funny how you mentioned just then, um, you know, people will come to you and they'll sell you an agent to do something or they'll sell you X. Do you find that when you're trying to sell your service, people are a little bit reluctant? Oh, yeah. They're, they're really funny about sales trainers and sales coaches, right? For sure. I mean, I have a unique set of biases, but but I think that's, I think anybody selling anything could say that, that, that there's prejudice against any salesperson. Yeah. Fair. Um, whether you're selling anything. Yeah, I mean, I was at a Tech Tribe uh, event on Wednesday last week, so that was the 19th of July, 
there was 10 of us in the room and there was one MSP who said, you know, I really want a salesperson, but I hate salespeople. And it's like, it's countering, you can't want right. this person and hate them at the same time. It's, it's counter, to me, that's count, sounds, it's counterproductive. Uh, right. You're better off just trying to sell yourself. Right. Because and so many people will go out and get salespeople and expect, expect the earth, give them next to no support. Six months later, they fired them, right? Right. Every time. And, and there's so much, I mean, there's so much toxic psychology behind that sentence of like, I hate salespeople. First of all, listen to the words you just said. You hate salespeople? Eight? That's how people describe fascist groups. Yeah. That's okay. That that's not how you're supposed to describe. Would you say I hate accountants? Oh God, I hate them. What's the matter with you? Why do you hate them? Because you're cooking the books and you're getting caught. Yeah. Look, you've got an issue that's bigger than sales. When you're five years old to say that sort of thing, but not when you're right. Twenty-five plus running a business. Yeah. Okay. You're a thirty-five-year-old business owner. And you've got so much negative experience selling that you have sort of amalgamized one. You, you've decided that salespeople represent all of the insecurities that you have as a business person, right? Because they have to ask you questions you don't want to answer. They have to force you to make decisions that you're not ready to make. They need to sell you products that you need but can't afford. And so all of your lack of success and your sort of instability as a business, you're now projecting onto this next salesperson who comes in. It's the same reason people shout at their waiters, right? Like, it's, we need a new, we need a new version of Karen. We need like a Keith who represents how people treat salespeople, right? Because, because of exactly that, this guy. I need a salesperson, but I hate salesperson. Well, statistically, based off of my experience, what we're going to see is he hires somebody and says, you're not going to get any help. You got to prove yourself to me constantly. I'm going to take credit for all your successes, and I'm going to punish you um, exorbitantly for all of your failures. And if you don't give me something I've never been able to achieve on my own within six to 12 months, I'm going to fire you. Right? That's in, in therapy, that would be called transferring <laughs> right? or projecting. Uh, so, so, I mean, to back to your original question, do people are hesitant, are people hesitant about me? Yeah, of course, because salespeople who sell sales are historically, they're a little bit more on the charismatic side, fair and fair statement, oh, which means, often, I mean, I am the most unnatural salesperson ever. I've worked in sales. I'm not bad. I'm, you know, I'm, I think I'm quite a good salesperson, but I'm not going to lie. It's not the most, for me, it's not enjoy. It's not enjoyable. Right. I'll, I'll openly admit that right now. I, I don't enjoy sales, but I understand what it is, why, uh, why it's needed. And we're selling ourselves all the time. You know, we're having a conversation right. here, the way you, you know, the way you're looking and dressing is selling something to people. The way I look and dress sells, you know, we walk out sure. the door, we're selling, we wake up in the morning, it's, we're selling. Uh, right. And it's for me, you know, like I said, it, it's become over time a necessary thing in that I have to do in my business. And yeah. Like I said, it's not enjoyable, but I have learned over the last few years that it's okay to sell. It's good to sell. Yeah. And I get 
I'm now starting to get that buzz. When I make a sale, I'm like, yes, I've made a sale. Well, right. Beforehand, it was like, I've made a sale. Is it going to fall through? Now it's, yes, I've made a sale. Now, now here comes the good, you know, the, the good stuff that I enjoy doing. Right. Um, and, and that's a classic. Turn it into a game. And I think that's come off the back a little bit of our, because, you know, we've had conversation. I've had a conversation with you about, you know, coming, joining your program. It wasn't for me at the time. And, that, you know, like I said to you, that may change in the future. Um, but again, we had some of those things that we were talking about just stuck with me. And now I've begun to you know, learn just from that, con that prospecting conversation. Well, isn't that something like that just from some insightful questions that I asked you, what we learned was like, you were way too early for their program. It was just, yeah. it was just not the right time. Timing is, is everything. If you're going to go through an accelerator, like you can't accelerate when there's a red light in front of you, right? Like you have to accelerate at the right time. And so timing is, is everything. That's why I always front load my sales conversations. It's like, this is how much time I need. This is how much money I need. Can you, are, are you actually ready to be in that position mentally, fiduciarily, right? Yeah. And if so, then let's look into the program and see, then, then I'll, I'll be happy to sort of like dig into the program. But yeah, I mean, there's, there's a ton of bias against salespeople. What you just said, you know, that is, is, is become a necessary thing. You almost said necessary evil, but you said necessary thing. And my secret sort of my evil plan would be to one day convince you through, um, the right training and the right support that sales can become more than just a necessary evil, but that sales could become something that actually energizes you. Um, but of course that's my personality. Your per like, I get way more excited at finding a customer than managing a customer. Of course, managing a customer is like what I do. I run the business, but I get way more excited by a sales meeting than I do by a customer meeting. Yeah. 10 times more because that's, that's my temperament. So people like you need people like me and people like me need people like you. <laughs> right. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. Um. Right. Curveball question. Completely different. Okay. If you were stranded on a desert island, what is one item you would take with you? Oh, geez. And why? Should I give like a silly answer? Should I give a profound answer? <laughs> Up to you. <laughs> um. Well, I'll tell you the the answer that comes right to mind, and the the item I would bring is the one that's in my hand. I'm holding a deck of cards. Now, in 2020, when I was like, what am I gonna do with all this time? I decided um, I'm going to learn sleight of hand. Oh. I'm not gonna become a performer. I just, I've always thought it was so freaking cool. Yeah, I've always loved that kind of thing. Like pickpockets, magicians, it's all cool, right? So, I mean, I have ADHD. Big time. So I have my fidget cube. I have my deck of cards. I have my pen that I click. I have a dog clicker that I actually use for voiceover, but sometimes I just click it because it's satisfying. So for that reason, I'm so constantly curious as an ADHD person, everything is incredibly stimulating that even on an island, I would never get bored. But because I have sensory overload constantly during every meeting, I'm just shuffling a deck of cards in my hand and doing like st stupid tricks. It's not for anybody. I don't want to 
be a magician, but I like, I love like turning a card into another car, like that kind of thing. So I'd probably give myself something there, just keep my hands busy. How's that for an answer? It's different. I wasn't quite sure what to expect when I asked the question. Um, yeah. And I could have said something philosophical. Only added into the interview stack, like today. Uh, so you're the first okay. guest that I've ever asked that question. So that was an awesome answer. Um, I did. You know, we started so philosophical that I was like, let me let let me bring a little levity in and talk about something stupid like playing cards. <laughs> uh, so a friend of mine who's been been a guest on the show, Paul Newton. He's a mind reader, magician. He talks about cybersecurity and things like that as well. Um, but he does this trick with two elastic bands and it just blows my mind every time he does it. You know, it's like, it's so, something so basic. But I mean, for me, if I can find it, put it, put it somewhere. Well, a Rubik's Cube, but I can't remember which drawer I've put it. Oh yeah. I've turned it up my desk. I don't know where mine is either. I was, I just, during COVID, I decided to learn to do that as well as set up my IT company. <laughs> right, right. But, you know, I I practice for a little while, then I'll put it down and do something else, and then I'll go back to it. And my t I, yeah. I probably could do it in about 55 seconds now on average. Okay, which, cool. Which is pretty cool, considering I, pra I, I don't practice every day or anything like that. Uh, I, I then got my nephew involved, and he took it super seriously. You know, is he, he faster than you now? Oh, he, he can do it in about 20 seconds. He he he's got two by two. He's got a three by three, a four by four. He's got all these other different ones. He's got one that's shaped like a triangle, a, a, a pyramid, and yeah. And I'm like, but yeah, he he does. He he stopped practicing now. He's now focused on Minecraft and uploading Minecraft videos to YouTube. But of course, <laughs> my my nephew Kenny is the same. He got really into Rubik's cubes. He's like nine or ten. And so my my record my record on a three by three was like twenty eight seconds, but I had a huge skip. I averaged around like thirty eight to forty seconds, and in like a month, this kid was doing thirty second solves like every single time. And he's like, yeah, he's got his five by five, and and yeah, he's got the pyramid one, and he has this other one that it's cut diagonally, so when you mix it, it looks all like this different shape. Anyway. Yeah, yep. I swear, I swear, my brother-in-law spent about seven, eight hundred pounds on on all these rooms for him. And he's got, he's got the time, you know, the time that you see in the YouTube videos and everything. Right. <laughs> so great. The IP guys always have these. We're we're kind of hobbyists. I feel like people in our industry, we all have like a quirky hobby. We're either gamers or we like like I'm a big D and D guy too. Um, so I you know, D and D for so long. Um, we just bought a Nintendo Switch. Nice. Just because I wanted to play Goldeneye. Oh my gosh, so good. <laughs> and it is so, you know, the, don't, don't get me wrong, you know, considering where we are now with graphics and things, it looks terrible. Uh, yeah. At the same time, it's just like, it's taking me back to before I had job and kids and a wife. Right. And, yeah, so being honest... And you get the, like, golden... It's like a golden desert eagle or something in that game, right? You get like this one gun that just like yeah, the gold gun, everything. Yeah. yeah. Oh, so good, dude. You're taking me back too. And then my son was like, "Oh, can I watch?" And I'm like, "Yeah." He's like, "So is this based on a film?" I'm like, "Yeah." 
like, I really need to check. Yeah, I need to get you educated on on some decent films. So yeah, we're now going to be watching every single James Bond movie. We're going to rewatch Back to the Future and Batman and you know, all, all those eighties and nineties movies and things that were just awesome. Which yeah, he has definitely missed out on. <laughs> mm-hmm. So great, I love it. Um, right, we digressed a little bit. So, my final question is: What is one thing that any business could implement fairly easily that could potentially help with their sales? Hmm. Not just any MSP, but any business. Any business, but again, if you want, if you've got two answers, one which is more MSP focused, then great. Right. Yeah. Give me a second to sort of um simmer down a concise answer no worries this is kind of where i need like a button to play the jeopardy theme tune you know (laughs) yeah right that's that would be perfect okay any business could implement easily to improve their sales yeah um the the answer would, of course, obviously, it's going to vary based off of the org structure and the sort of operational maturity of the organization as a whole. And it's going to it's going to determine whether based on the owner in the sales role or if they have a dedicated sales role. But I would say the first thing that you can do is the first step of the Six Sigma business principle, metric everything. Yeah. Start writing down what's happening, what are you doing, when are you doing it, how frequently are you doing it. If you can just start collecting data. That's the first step in my, I have a seven step framework for scaling MSPs. The first step is collecting data. Now, everybody says that that's, they're like, they want something that's more results driven as a first piece of advice, but collecting data is a absolute results generator because most businesses have a skewed perception of what is actually happening. Most business owners in order to sort of survive the early years of a business, you sort of have to be optimistic, yeah. right? Otherwise you'll jump off a bridge or quit or go get a job. Yeah, absolutely. So you, you look at everything through the lens of what it's becoming instead of what it is. And you've got to be more gut-wrenchingly honest about what is actually happening and where you're failing. So I would say measure everything. And from there, you can make more strategic decisions rather than random acts of marketing or random acts of selling or like, hey, this person approached me to buy a golf bench ad. So I think I'll just try that. Maybe that'll drum up some business or maybe this, maybe I've heard people talk about SEO. I'm going to spend 45 hours researching it and make a bunch of meta tags that get me nothing or get me traffic that I can't convert or whatever. Collect data. If, uh, if ever there's a dark area or a, a confusing area of your business, write down what's happening and isn't happening and figure out how to collect that data as accurately and consistently as possible using your, your CRM, your PSA, your line of business application. And um, just see, get yourself a clear view of the playing field. And then from there, zoom out, look at the thing as a whole and figure out the most strategic thing you can do to get you the results the fastest. Awesome. That makes so much sense, and yeah, I have. Bec- I must admit, my data collection isn't the great, hasn't been the greatest. I've got you know a board up there which has got you know my t- my goals for the year, what I want to achieve. Except, I've even got things like acceptable loss up there. Mm-hmm. Um, 
but then there are things which are missing. So that board is having, I'm getting another one to go up in front of me so I can have more metrics right in front of me so I can just look up and go. Yeah. I have a CRM. There is loads of data and stuff in there. But again, if I can have headline figures where I can see them, I think that right. would help me as well. Um, you know, just to put the onus on me for a minute and my business. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, if it, like figure out like, what are you doing? Not like what's happening, but write down, what are you doing? And then all of a sudden you look at and realize I haven't done anything that would feasibly find me new business in six months. And, so, and yet I'm sitting here whining that my, my pipeline is empty. I mean, that's your fault. Yeah. It's your fault, right? Like do something. And if you don't know what to do, then you know what information to go to an expert to get. But don't come to me to just don't come to Brian and say, grow my business for me. That's a terrible question. Say, Brian, I need to figure out what activity to fill my eight to 1030 with to generate some top funnel interest. What do you recommend doing? Now, that's a question. You, the more specific your questions can be, the more powerful the answers will be when you ask an expert. Yeah. But uh, don't be surprised if you come to me with a vague question and say something like, how do you get clients? I'm gonna say, well, what are you doing now? I'm gonna to have to ask you 45 questions to figure out how to really give you a meaningful answer. But if I wanted, if you want a too long, didn't read version of what can, what's something any business can do right now to grow their sales? Here it is in one sentence. Stop looking at what you need to do and start focusing on what you're going to do. This week, if you're listening to this on an early early week or whenever, what day do you drop these podcasts? So these the, the, your episode will be out on the fourth of August. Okay, and that's a Friday, right? Friday, yes. Okay, so what you'll do is listen to this podcast today. If you're listening to it, you got the weekend to simmer on it, and so think about Monday, the seventh. Monday the seventh. Think next week. I've got this mountain of things I need to do. It's not very important. Instead, focus on what are the four things I'm going to do and then tick them off the list. And then the next Friday, look at your mountain of things you need to do and then decide what are you going to do and tick those things off the list. And that is your path out of the analysis paralysis that comes with trying to grow a business. That is um, yeah, really thought provoking, found, I don't know what word to use. Um, just, just great, great advice. And, you know, I think I've said this to you before, you know, you look so, I think you're, you're, I'm fairly sure you're, you're a lot younger than I am. And, you know, for that sort of wisdom to come out of somebody that's, you know, what are you, early thirties mm -hmm. is, is quite unusual. Cause you know, I, I turned 40 last week and I know a lot of 30 year olds that you know, they're still relying on mum and dad to do their washing and, and iron and take them places. <laughs> so um, to have, sure. you know, to have a guest on the on the show that, you know, is, I don't want to sound patronising and say so grown up, but, you know, it's so aware um, is, is, is really refreshing. So uh, thank you so much for taking some time out of your day to come and have a chat with me. Yeah, of course. Um, Thanks for having me. It's been, you know, I, I enjoy having our conversations when we've had them. Um, I hope they, again, I hope they continue. 
Uh, who knows? Twelve months down the line, I might say, Brian, I'm re- I'm re- I'm I'm ready for mm-hmm. the program, and why don't we do another update on the podcast? So hopefully we can uh, keep this ball rolling. Yeah, great. That sounds good, man. Brilliant. Awesome to connect. Yeah. Thanks a lot, Brian. Huge thanks to Brian for coming onto the show. What a great guy. So unassuming, so wise. I really appreciate you for taking time out of your day to come onto the show. If you want to know more about Brian, his website and his LinkedIn are in the description for this episode. Our tip of the episode. Now it's time for the tip and I want to speak around what Brian just left us with. Metrics. Metrics are super important when running any business. It doesn't matter if it's a lemonade stand or a global conglomerate. Metrics are used to provide quantitative data that helps a business and a business owner to not only measure performance, but to make informed business decisions driven by the data. Tracking just some basic metrics like uh, key performance indicators through to customer satisfaction and financials can help you see what is going on in your business. Now, in the interview, I talked about my whiteboard, the one that's just up there. This has some super high-level metrics on it. And I also said that I plan to get another board up for some additional data. Now, since recording that interview a little over a week ago, the second board is up. Data will be going up onto it over the next few days. So do you monitor data in your business? If so, what metrics? Do let me know. If you don't use metrics right now, have a think about it. It could change your business. Thank you so much for watching or listening. I truly hope you have found this episode insightful and I look forward to speaking to you again next time round. I do have one small favour to ask. If you've enjoyed this episode, or even if you haven't, please let us know by leaving a review or a comment. It's the only way I can get better. If you haven't already, please give us a like and a subscribe on YouTube, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Massive thanks once again to Brian Gillette of Feel Good MSP. I've been Tony, the IT Smart Guy, and I'll see you again next time. Thanks for listening to the IT Smart Guy podcast. Hope you've enjoyed this episode. Please do consider to like and subscribe on your podcast platform of choice.